This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this show, we dig into some of the most intriguing mysteries, figures, and forgotten histories from Chicago and beyond. Legendary investigator Elliot Ness and his team of untouchables are about as iconic as his nemesis, Al Capone. His story has been told and retold so many times it's difficult to distinguish fact from fiction. Luckily, a trove of documents released by Ness's family gives a peek into his real life and career. After his battles with Capone, Ness took on jaywalking in Cleveland and searched for a serial killer known as the Torso Murderer. While his story is often overshadowed by Al Capone, Ness's own life and career was truly extraordinary. Let's get into the backstory of Elliot Ness. We visited the Western Reserve Historical Society in Cleveland, which houses Elliot Ness's scrapbooks, included in the collection Ness's typed memories that Oscar Fraley used to write The Untouchables. John Grabowski obtained Ness's scrapbooks from the Ness family. This is straight from Elliot. Yeah, this is the genesis of the untouchable story as we know it. Oh, it's right. This is as close as I've ever been, really, to what Ness was, uh, was doing in Chicago. This is his memory. About this time, the uh, law-abiding people of Chicago had just about their fill of gangs, gangsters, and killings. Federal government also had had about enough. President Hubert Hoover sent for George N. Q. Johnson, and together they planned the downfall of the Capone mob. This is a real piece of history. Yeah. Ness defeated Capone in 1931. Prohibition was repealed in 1933. In 1935, Ness was hired to be the public safety director of Cleveland, the fifth largest city in America at that time. He was just 33 years old. While Ness did start a team of incorruptible agents in Cleveland, as he did in Chicago, there was a lot in the scrapbooks about traffic safety and jaywalking. What is the focus of this scrapbook? This is uh, Elliot Ness's career uh, toward its end in Cleveland. This is a 1940s, early 1940s scrapbook. Uh, he's still the safety director for the uh, city. Basically, Elliot kept his archive, so to speak, as scrapbooks. So it's not only newspaper clippings, but you'll find letters in here. You'll find sometimes find photographs. Not that he was a hoarder, but he was, a, you know, it's an extremely tidy set of records that he was keeping of his career in Cleveland. So you're looking at the Cleveland side of the papers of the man who is the focus of probably the most iconic crime story in the United States, The Untouchables. Well, as we flipped through these, I saw what seems like small-time stuff, jaywalking. <laughs> yeah, Jay, he's safety director, so it's everything yeah. from graft and gambling to jaywalking to pinball machines. Pinball machines, the, the whole deal is, is there. So pinball machines were basically uh, seen as gambling and uh, an easy route to juvenile delinquency. Wow. And you often found pinball machines, almost like slot machines, in bars and other amusement places beyond bars. So, you know, the man who helped take Al Capone out is dealing with pinball machines uh, some two decades later. What does it say about him that he kept more than a dozen 
scrapbooks of himself. I, I think this basically gets into who he was. He was methodical. He was a modern G-man. He was a cop. He was university trained. And so when uh, Mayor Harold uh, Burton brought him on as a safety director in late 1935, that's what he wanted. He wanted somebody who had logic, order, and sense to straighten out what was a corrupt police department, uh, modernize everything, and deal with the biggest issue in Cleveland at that time, which was gambling. So this wasn't about narcissism, this was about record keeping. This is record keeping, this is what the man is, yeah. Beyond the jaywalking and pinball, there's a dark twist in Ness's Cleveland chapter. A serial killer, at least a dozen deaths, victims were dismembered with surgical precision. It started before Ness took over, but he continued to supervise the case. This was a brutal dismemberment of 12 people, only three of whom were identified. And, uh, and so that shaped his career. The people who are murdered, they're the transients of the Great Depression. You know, the unemployed who are on the railroad cars, living in shack towns. And so when these people are murdered with, you know, several exceptions, nobody can identify them. Nobody knows them. And so he decides the way to clean up the situation is he goes in and he destroys the shack towns, which does not make him very popular because he's basically going in and taking the homeless towns and they're burning them down. At Cleveland's Great Lakes Exposition of 1936-37, Police used plaster casting death masks of victims in hopes that one of the more than a million visitors could identify the victims. After Ness retired, he got postcards signed F. Sweeney taunting him. Sweeney had been a suspect because he was a doctor with some surgical experience. Sweeney eventually is incarcerated in an institution in Dayton. Yeah, and it's basically mental illness, if I remember correctly. And it's from that Dayton address that he gets these five postcards in the 1950s. The postcards Sweeney sent from the asylum contained strange photos clipped from newspapers and even odder messages. While he was never charged with the killings, they seemed to have stopped after Sweeney was institutionalized. Officially, the case remains unsolved. Did you get a different understanding or a better understanding of who he was as a man by looking through this? Yeah, I did, you know, and, and it's hard. I think it's hard for all of us to take a figure who becomes a celebrity and then is taken by Hollywood and depicted in one way or another with the series, the TV, uh, the, the movies that have followed. Uh, so how do you get to the reality of a celebrity? And, and the only way you can, and I'm a historian, that's what yeah. I do at Case Western Reserve, is you try to find original documents. Let that person speak for herself or himself. So this is close. The Untouchables book was made into a TV series in 1959, starring Robert Stack as Elliot Ness. But once Stack took down Capone's mob, the writers had to come up with other ideas. Soon he was investigating Mob Barker, which never happened, and then other fictional villains. Still, as we reported in our previous story, Max Collins and A. Brad Schwartz investigation revealed much of what was written in Oscar Fraley's Untouchables book was true. 
what do you think was similar to the Hollywood portrayal of Elliot Ness and what was different from the Hollywood portrayal of Elliot Ness? Uh, what I see similar is, you know, I'll go back to the Robert Stack era, if I would. You know, Stack is clean cut, young, and he's well trained and he's, he's on the ball and, and he's sort of uh, neutrally fearless. That then will complicate another side of, of Ness, which is his personal side, which we don't see much of. You know, he's married three times, prohibition's over, he, he likes to drink. Um, he's, a, he's a social butterfly, if you want to use that term, with his second wife in particular there. So there's this other Elliot that's there and not as well documented as I would like to see. It's the private Elliot. Yeah, so yeah. still a bit of a mystery there. It's a, there's a mystery there, yeah. yeah. Elliot Ness passed away in 1957 of a heart attack. He was 54. He never lived to see his famous memoir published or his portrayal on the big screen. Some doubted his exploits, but not his enduring legacy of the professional, incorruptible federal agent. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of the story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, Visit us online at WGNTV.com slash backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.